it was very easy to slip into a mentality of us versus them. Um, if I were to just like, if I were staying at home and just watching the news, um, but I wasn't. <laughs> so I, mm -hmm. it, it really helped my mental health through the pandemic because I didn't feel this, I didn't feel that in the same way. You're listening to Duluth Story Project, true stories from our community. So today we're back and we're talking about us versus them. Us versus Pick them. Pick a side. Pick a side. So what does that mean? What, do, what does us versus them mean? I don't know. And no, we're kidding. There isn't an us versus them, or at least there shouldn't be, but we do a really good job of dividing ourselves for pretty much no apparent reason, uh, especially on this one issue. I think doing this podcast or the way that this storytelling process has shaped itself, to me, it's highlighting a much bigger deal than just are you vaccinated or not vaccinated because it uncovers so much discomfort and struggle in Duluth about our disparities and and the divide. It's taken us like talking to 10 experts on all of this. And we still don't have like, you should get vaccinated because of this. It's we well, have to. I, I mean, the vast majority of people should get vaccinated. They should. I but mean, it's so it's so hard to not be judgmental right now it's so hard but then it is and i think it it's because it's something that we care about yeah but i think it's also important to remember that like everybody everybody right has uh reasons for doing the things that they do for the most part i think um the problem is that everything has a consequence, and a lot of people died in the United States. And compared to other countries, the percentage of population from COVID deaths is one of the worst in the world. I mean, this is just data that is readily available through the World Health Organization. It's just data, and the U.S. is really bad at this. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm holding these, this like stack of papers in yeah. my hand. Of all of the countries that have less deaths than you, the United States. A stack of papers. Yeah, and just so people aren't confused, this is uh, deaths uh, from COVID per 100,000 people. Obviously, if it's a smaller country with a much smaller population, there are going to be less overall deaths. This is by percentage of population. So here are a list of countries. Ready? Yeah, okay. Starting with India. France, Germany, Republic of Korea, Italy, the United Kingdom, Japan, Russian Federation, Turkey, Austria, Ukraine, Greece, Malaysia, Israel, Thailand, Belgium, Canada, Switzerland, Spain, Vietnam, Australia, Argentina, China, Netherlands, China, Mexico, Iran, Indonesia, Poland, Colombia, Portugal, Uruguay, Mongolia, Latvia, Saudi Arabia, Azerbaijan, Paraguay, holy cow, okay, keep going, Bahrain, Dominican Republic, Myanmar, South Africa, Honduras, Armenia, yeah, and there's still more. So the point I think that we're not doing it right. We're not doing great on this on this thing. Yeah, and we can point fingers, and we should sometimes. And also, we don't mean to make light of this. That's the reason we're talking about it. I mean. 
people died. A lot of people. And people in my world died who were more than just Facebook friends. And uh, I, as we think about how to take care of each other as a society, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to who we trust and where are we getting our information. That's the disconnect. Information. How do you get information to people? That is a way that is accessible. That is a way that's not, you know, everyone has a cell phone and everyone is like just choosing to scroll what through what they want to scroll right. through like no one's going to be like I wonder what science is saying <laughs> I don't and I believe in the science but I don't like there just needs to be like somebody that just represents science science and it's like the cutest little something the cutest <laughs> not <laughs> Okay, we're getting off topic. Anyway, I think doing this podcast has taught us that we there's a huge lack of compassion in, I think, in our world. And I think if we want people to get vaccinated, then we all have to start with compassion. Yeah. And I think we all just need to listen to each other instead of just talking at each other while everyone's talking also. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds great. But patience, compassion, there's things that we all know, but I don't think many of us know actually how to how to actively be compassionate. Also, there's some psychological theory behind some of this. Do you want to hear about it? Well, yes, Blake, I do. Great. Then let's have some people introduce themselves. My name is John Blanchard, and I'm an assistant professor at, of psychology at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And... So I'm Deanne Wen Fang. I use she, her pronouns. I'm an assistant professor over in the Department of Psychology at the University of Minnesota Duluth. You'll also be hearing from Dr. Mary Owen and Olihe Okoro, who you heard in the first episode of this series. And also the voice you heard at the top of this episode, you will be hearing again. And they work in a nonprofit organization and do incredible work in this community, but she wishes to remain anonymous. So we'll give her a pleasant little ding like this when we hear from her. And now, without further ado, we will jump into the household concept of naive realism with John Blanchard. There's a theory called naive realism. It's a phenomenon where people, it has three tenets to it. One is that everyone thinks they see the world objectively unfiltered, literally as it is. That's <laughs> not true, we know from, from psychological research. Um, the other, the second tenet is that we assume that everyone else does too. So I see the world unfiltered, literally as it is, and so do you. So when an event happens um, and we come to different interpretations of it or we come to different answers to the same question and and I hear your answer and it's different from mine, I immediately think, well, there must be something wrong with you and you think the same of me. Because if you're following the evidence to my where I got to, you should, if you're following the evidence that you see and you're seeing the world just as I do, then there's something has happened along the way and it's probably something about you. So you're biased in some way or I'm biased in some way. And so when people on the different sides of partisan issues hear that people have arrived different perspective, they're befuddled by this because they think that any reasonable, logical, decent human would see what I have seen and arrive at the same conclusion. George Carlin is a great joke about this. He talks about driving. It just fits so well, I think, with a lot of people's experience that. Have you ever you noticed notice that anyone... when you're driving that anyone who's driving slower than you is an idiot? <laughs> and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac! 
say, look at this idiot here. You know, it, it's that we assume that whatever we're doing is the right thing. And anyone who goes in excess or not enough, there's something wrong with. We fall into that over and over and over. And I think the pandemic was like totally an opportunity for that. Um, you're not getting vaccinated because you don't care about society. You're not getting vaccinated because you're too dumb to understand the science. Um, when in fact, like, no, that's very rarely the case. Right. right. Very, very rarely right. the case. I also think about false consensus bias. Bian Winfang. In which, for me, having gotten double boosted in my head, it's like, oh, everybody wants to get double boosted. And then I just have to remember that is like my singular perspective. And I tend to think that that's my view, so other people must hold it. And I also think about how if I were in that person's shoes, not even for like that moment, but all the shoes they've worn their entire life, like from where how they were raised and even bef generations before, then I would literally be having the same thoughts as that person. So just being aware of where that comes from for them and they're still accountable for their actions. But I think perhaps understanding of that allows us not to judge so harshly in that way. I think what I've learned yeah. out of this is that it's really complicated. Yeah. It's really, really, really complex. And I think anyone who tries to just, just anyone who tries to thin it out into a binary of good or bad they're not capturing what is really going on and and they're trying to gain something out of that narrative. There's been a push to divide people always. Dr. Mary Owen. In this yeah. country, there's always been a push for um, division so that people don't unite and, and basically get their rights, Matt, right? <laughs> conquer, uh, divide and conquer. So if we push against that and instead bring people together, I saw a study um, not too long ago and I can't remember where I saw it, but it was in one of my journals that said one of the most effective ways to convince people is to put them in a group. Mm. Get people in a group talking about ideas and just sharing ideas in a very um, respectful manner. And if you get an expert in there, a couple experts in there who can share um, what we know to be true, then you can actually um, help people understand that this is not one of the many, that are one of the egregious acts again, that have happened in the past and a lot right. of people's ha past. Okay, we want to hammer this point home that Dr. Owen was just talking about because it's come up a number of times with many of the people we've talked to. Yeah, which is that we need to get people together in person. People of different backgrounds and belief systems and economic situations and have them be together in the same space. It's the melting pot, the fabled melting pot that we've always heard America described as. Stir it around. Now, we clearly don't have a brilliant solution to this problem. Speak for yourself, Blake. Oh, do you have a solution to this? <laughs> okay, you can speak for both of us. Okay, or we'll just hand it back over to Mary Owen because she has far better ideas than we do. Yeah, let's do it. So I think if if all of our society comes together, though, to help with those really important things like getting food to communities or helping educate kids because we know they're falling behind mm -hmm. because of this system, when we come together to do those things, we're able to talk to one another and be more positive in general rather than having to isolate one another. So I, I think that people want to take care of one another, 
um, at baseline. They do care about their neighbors. They do care about the people around us. But we're not asking the questions in the right way. We're not bringing people together to talk about these things in the right way. And all, and, and we're always dealing with, or we're constantly dealing with these messages to the opposite effect online, right, mm-hmm. of uh, social media. And people are going to social media to feel like they belong. Right. Right? Oh my I mean, gosh, that's, we're so all looking right. for yeah. love. Yeah. It's just it's a common denominator among humans. We're all looking for social connections, right? So social media has made it easier for us to be. Back to John Blanchard. The social species that we are. I mean, we are a hyper social species. We have benefits from it. I always joke around that, um, you know, the, the evolution has granted us two really big things, our, our brain um, and our opposable thumbs. And we're not the only social animal, but this allows us to do, to communicate, having these big brains and the ability for language and cooperation um, helps us to be such a dominant species because we're not so impressive otherwise. I mean, for our size, we're not that strong. Uh, We don't have sharp talons or massive teeth. We're really not that fast. We're not very fast swimmers. We can't fly. Our vision's so-so. Our hearing's not that great. So what makes us so dominant is our our ability to think through and simulate problems and cooperate with others as a hyper-social species living in groups with others because it benefits us. That's why it hurts so much to be rejected by people because there's a need to live amongst others as a, just a basic survival mechanism. Um, and social media has tapped into this part of human nature to allow us to affiliate with others from the convenience of our own home. Um, we have computers um, in our pockets constantly where the moment you're not talking to someone, you pull out your phone while you're waiting in line or doing something, we can see what other people are doing. We lurk on social media even if we're not be, we're in, in, engaging. We're curious about other people. Um, but this connects us to other people in such an easy way, but we especially connect with people that already share our perspectives because it feels good. It's reinforcing. It gives us greater confidence rather than makes us uncertain or ambivalent. Uh, people underestimate that a lot of their confidence in what they think is real or true in the world, um, they think it, it comes from them thinking critically about the world. And some, some of it does, but a lot of it comes from what just other people around you think and say and believe. Okay, so what we've learned from John and all these other fine folks and life experience and common sense and such is... Before the pandemic, we were already living in this supercharged political atmosphere. Thanks, Obama. (laughs) COVID comes along and there's no perfect playbook for this, but decisions have to be made and people have to make those decisions. And guess what? People aren't perfect and mistakes are going to be made. And unfortunately, to no one's surprise, COVID gets used as a political tool. Which sucks. Because that worked out so very well for some folks, you know, using people's fear, confusion, and suffering to advance their f***ing careers. So then we're quarantining. We're physically separated in real life, and we find ourselves in kind of our own little communities, these echo chambers, where we can have our opinions validated over and over again, whether it's with the people we're close to or in online communities. Which makes us feel good. And that's super important, of course. We all went through this traumatic global thing together, and you need to have people to talk to who make you feel good. But... The problem is that that doesn't challenge us at all to see the other side of things. Right. Now, we're no experts, but that doesn't at all seem like a super duper beneficial thing for our society as a whole. And when you talk about the echo chambers... Vianne Winfang. Our potentially constant sense of validation... I think when it becomes so constant in that way, 
feeling as though our thoughts, our beliefs are, are right, we forget that that is not a usual sentiment. And because if we every not everyone's opinion is going to match us, but our news feeds and our circles, they're going to have like-minded individuals or targeted ads to to you and your beliefs. So when something or somebody disagrees or has a slight nuance in their belief, then it feels like so stark in contrast to the sentiment of feeling right or validated without even recognizing that that's because of this echo chamber. People don't like to be in social environments where they don't see their values or that what, what really more of the case is where they see um, values that they think undermine or oppose their own being displayed or dominant in these sort of ways. So we've been seeing people been sorting, not just in the news they follow, but the people they interact with, where they live, the, the communities. And I don't mean red state and blue state, I mean this neighborhood and that neighborhood. Uh, if you look at the map in terms of voting, you'll find though there's these little enclaves that happen where if you look by the red and the blue of voting, you find these deep blue seas and these bright red pockets uh, and they're correlated with more urban versus rural. But even if you look in suburban areas where you'll see a mix of it, you don't see blended purple. What you see is red red spike, uh, red spots and blue spots, sometimes right next to each other. So when you go into a community or a university campus, for instance, you might see things like um, pride flags that are a little bit more overt, but there are things like you see a bunch of electric cars, Prius vehicles versus, say, big trucks. Um, American flags, and these are more ambient cues that signal whether we fit in with other people, whether we belong, whether we're accepted or liked by other people. And we don't like people that don't like us, or we think that they don't <laughs> like us. We want to be liked by people, and we want to be around people that share our values. And this has been causing people to sort and segregate, and in essentially creating informational and social networks that are bifurcating our common understanding of reality. So if that sounds scary, it yeah. it's kind of because it is. Like, we can't be... Here's the thing about knowledge. We're not supposed to hoard knowledge for ourselves. That's the opposite of what knowledge is. So the problem is that we're getting into these situations where I would say, like, okay, Mary, how do you feel about pineapple on pizza? Hmm, I, I love it. With jalapenos. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. What about, do you like pineapple on pizza? I don't think pizza exists. <laughs> well, I'm going to spin this positively. You're in for a real treat when you finally believe that pizza <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't exist, and I don't know where you're getting your information, but if it's from mainstream media, that's... But what about all of the pizza places in town? lies oh what are you what are they doing i don't know i need to go ask my buddy mark because see that's where i get all of my information but like what but what have you seen pete like have you seen pizza that's not the f-ing question <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> yeah i get it the question isn't whether i've seen pizza legacy media companies are feeding us lies about the existence of pizza. Oh my, what have I been, what have I been eating every Saturday morning? I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was not pizza, what is it? I don't know. Yeah, that that's a really good example. Okay, so I, I don't know how you would have a conversation, but then, so then 
what do you so okay let's figure this out then would i just start talking about something i would have i would have great concern i would have great concern that's a good point and that's maybe where we get into like what we that's what we need to be feeling even if we disagree with people is not being pissed off but but really trying to focus on empathy yeah and i'm just gonna i'm gonna have empathy and i'm gonna say that you know he just it must have had some struggles growing up to not believe in pizza (laughs) (laughs) right or just some struggles recently not to believe in pizza and i think that's where we picture yourself in other people's shoes so picture yourself a day in the life of somebody who fundamentally disagrees with with the things that you believe in because i bet you will find something out of that person's day that you can relate to or empathize with or understand yeah maybe why why it is they believe in what they do yes and i think this gets particularly tricky when we're talking about close friends or family members who maybe aren't seeing eye to eye on this issue and that's what we're going to get into next Here is a conversation from someone in our community who wanted to remain anonymous, but well, well, we'll let we'll let her tell it. My sister refuses, still refuses to get vaccinated. Really? Yeah, and so that's it's tough because like when the holidays come, she she's not able to come um, because we are with our great grandma and grandpa, and so you know it's it's important for us to just keep them as healthy yes. as possible, and so it's hard. She there. She does feel a certain way that that that's kind of like the consensus is that you you know you got to be vaccinated um, unless we're like outdoors doing something right. like that. Um, so you know that there are other people too, and like my immediate like in my neighborhood or you know that are like refuse to get vaccinated. Are you able to have still a, a, a good strong relationship with your sister, or does it suffer because of this? I mean, I feel, I feel like probably. I mean, we have been distant. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's tricky because it's also, it's so infinite. It's not like okay, this is all done now. Like we maybe we all thought at the beginning it was like so this will be like three months, right? And mm-hmm. then we'll be fine. And now it's something that we have to continue to live with and right. to navigate. It's still here, and so I think that's one of the hardest things that that I think about being like the emotional feeler, I guess that I am is to think about the relationships that are divided or struggle because of the pandemic. And that, that, that sense of that, there is no stop to it. And how do you, how do you mend relationships or have them be new relationships, I guess, in this world. So it's just really interesting to think about all of the, you know, not only keeping everybody healthy, but the the emotional, like, stress with the people we love. Yeah. Can I ask, uh, like, do you know what, why your sister is so opposed to it or others in your life? Um, I, I haven't had that, that conversation with her, um, I've I've talked to like my mom about it. My sister doesn't want to talk to me about it. Um, she feels that I'm being like judgmental or I'm trying to, yeah, just like because also she also has three children, and so when it's like my mom will have her kids, I'm like, my kids don't go. Yeah, and so she feels like there's a deeper reason when it's not. It's it's all about 
you know, the health and safety of of my children and, and others. Um, so I feel like that just like puts this like roadblock, like, nope, I don't want to hear anything you might have to tell me about why I should get vaccinated because it's my body, my choice. Okay, so again, clearly this is a complicated issue. Autonomy, misinformation, politics, and then family and friendships. So I put some of this to Vianne Wenfeng, and here's what she had to say. So it is understanding that perhaps folks feel a lack of autonomy around it, and there might be a reason for that. So when we approach folks and talk to them about it, we want to ensure that we aren't taking their autonomy or choice away as we're having these conversations. So allowing it to be open in a way so that there's still choice or freedom to explore versus we're having this conversation so that I can direct you to my views, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you have a family member or a close friend, how do you go about having those conversations and meeting them, you know, at a place where they're not feeling judged? Mm -hmm. What are the tools that we can use to make sure that those conversations go smoothly? Yeah, and it can be tricky too, because even if we're focused on how we can have this conversation in a grounded manner, in a judgment-free manner. There's still the media who does target folks who are anti-vax or um, anti-whatever. And so that person, the sister in this case, might still have that response within them that arises, no matter how the other person might be asking in a judgment-free way. I think one way of approaching that is more so focusing on using I statements, um, focusing on like like having it be my re request and nothing on that on the person, and having the invitation still be there in a way that isn't an ultimatum. It's just like this is how I this is what I feel like I need in order to feel safe and checking in with the person in terms of how does that sound to you. So rather than can you get vaccinated, it's more of a response, an exploration, a conversation around how, how what are your thoughts, what are your, what's coming up for you when I'm saying that this is what I need to feel safe around the holidays. So this is all amazing advice, yeah. and it brings us back to the word of the day, which is... Complicated! You've got one side who is concerned about safety, legitimately, and the welfare of friends and family, and you've got another side who is worried about feeling judged for their beliefs about not getting vaccinated. And, I hate to say it, but those beliefs are often not based on information that's accurate from a perspective of science and medicine. Not to mention the fact that some of that information is coming from sources whose motivation is not to protect your safety and well-being. Yeah. But disagreement in itself, not a bad thing. There's value in having different opinions and in being wrong and in letting other people be wrong. But there's there's also value in letting people say things that we all know are wrong because it frees other people up to make contribution con contributing points. Um, and I can relate this to you actually in a classic social psychology experiment that demonstrates this Please. by uh, Solomon Ash, who was actually on the faculty at Swarthmore College where I was beforehand. Um, and he did these famous experiments on conformity. And he would bring in 
groups of students participating in research studies. Um, he'd bring them into a room, and the typical study has about uh, six people in it, but one of them is the real participant, and the five other people are actually actors. They're Confederates working on behalf of the experimenter, the psychologist, Solomon Ash. Um, but the real person who's naive does not know this. Mm-hmm. So they come in for a social ju- or for a perception task, and they are showing a a target line. So it's a vertical. Here's how line, this works. These it. folks come into a room. Remember, only one of them is real. All the others are actors. Um, actors are real. <laughs> okay, man. Anyway, they're shown a vertical line on a card, represented by this beep here. Because we're having fun with audio. Then they're shown another card with three vertical lines on it labeled A, B, and C. So one like this, one a little longer, and one a little longer than that. They have to match which of those three is the same as a single line they're shown on another card. Super easy. Just looking at a line and matching it to another line. People get this right about 100% of the time if left to their own devices. They're going to do this 18 times and they go around the room in the same order in every same time. order every like time. so. The first four people are actors. <laughs> um, they give their responses aloud and then it moves to the next one. And then the fifth person is the real participant. And then it goes to a sixth person who's also an actor. So the first of the 18 trials happens and everyone gives the obviously correct answer. They're shown line A and they pick A. And the second one happens. And again, everyone gives the obviously correct answer. Maybe they're shown line B, and they all pick B. Something interesting happens in the third trial. On the third trial, everyone, uh, shockingly to the participant, gives a completely wrong answer that's obviously wrong. So maybe they're shown B again. And everyone else says A. And then it comes to the real participant. And they will often give the right answer, but they'll be a little uncomfortable, visibly uncomfortable, and you interview them afterwards, they're, they're kind of weirded out, like, what am I missing? Or what's going on? And so they'll go down the line, and they'll, they're the only one not giving the wrong answer. So they keep doing this, and for 12 of the 18 trials, all of the actors are giving the wrong answer. They're shown line C, and everyone will pick line A. And you ask people later, the vast majority of them know the group is wrong, but they begin to conform to the group anyway. The vast majority of people will give answers that they know are wrong publicly simply because other people are doing so. The experiment found that 75% of people will, at least once, give an answer that is completely incorrect. Now, that doesn't mean that they went along with it every time, but remember that there is nothing about what they're doing here that is subjective. No. It is literally matching one thing with another thing, and when the other two choices are very clearly wrong. But this is where it gets interesting. However, if you give that person another real person earlier in the line, and there's two of them now, they almost never conform to the group. And this also happens if you give them another confederate earlier in the line who gives the other obviously wrong answer. Just because there's variation in the group allows other people to speak their mind and contribute things that are of value to the group. So this is sort of an interesting thing to say. Just because people are saying things that are wrong or wrongheaded or whatever doesn't mean there's not a benefit in society in some way to freeing up the conversation. But when you come down on people and you say, you can't say that or you can't do this, um, it makes people honestly resentful um, and it, it ingrades them further in these beliefs. So there is sort of an ironic effect to obvious attempts of censorship 
um, that it doesn't change minds. In fact, it draws more interest and more people to them from the outside because they don't like censorship. So it's a very complicated problem is kind of what I'm pointing to. I'm not saying right. that you just do this and it's all simple. I wish it was that easy. And there's that word again, complicated. Exactly. But I think this brings us back around yet again to the trouble with these echo chambers. It, it has little to do with what is right or wrong so much as they both just need to be there. Exactly. We need to actually get together and allow people to just be people. We're all weirdos anyway. Surround yourself with diversity. Have some fun for f**k's sake. <laughs> exactly. Or to put it another way. It's good to have interesting friends. And if your friends all agree with you, they're probably not that interesting as a collective. <laughs> I think we can all agree. Olihe Okoro. That with vaccination, more lives have been saved. Mm -hmm. I think we can agree on that. But we need to still always, you know, listen to people. What are their concerns? Um, and do we have um, the information that addresses those concerns? So let's, I would just encourage people, let's keep having the conversation, whether or not you have had the vaccine or intend to or not, can we keep talking about it? Um, as more information comes out, we get to know more. Well, we keep talking about it. And sometimes when people have had their concerns addressed, then they take the vaccine. We've seen that happen over and over again, where people were hesitant at the beginning, and then they had their concerns addressed. They got more information from sources that they trusted, and so they went ahead and got the vaccine. I love that. Right? We need to keep talking, because you never know. Also, you just don't know where people are coming from. Even the people we love the most, we don't know their whole lives or what's going on in their heads. What else? Well, I think we need to make an effort as a community, as a country, as people to um, find common ground and not barriers. get stuck. Yeah. yeah, to break down barriers and not get stuck in our, our little echo chambers of our own little realities where we're just validated and feeling awesome all the time. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it, it sounds so simple. What the stuff that we're talking about is like, oh yeah, no duh, like I'll love somebody or like I wanna have compassion for people, but, the, but what's happening is we're not and we don't. And it takes work. Yes. Like you have to go, I know, yeah, it does, exactly what you just said. It's like we all want to think like, oh, I love everybody yeah. and it's great, but that's not how it necessarily translates. Yeah. Like it takes actual work to to love your fellow human beings. Yeah, it really does. And I think if we can step across the barrier and find, you know, something something to hold on to that brings joy from individuals who don't believe in the same things that we do. We can live a much more beautiful life. Yeah. Yeah, I, this podcast is, I love it how we started. It seems so simple and now we're getting into so much nuance and I think it's really important. So yeah. I hope people listening will yeah, think about stuff a little more. And I hope they have a, a cool group of friends. And I really hope people believe in pizza.
Duluth Story Project is a program of Zeitgeist. Created by Mary Fox, with help from Amy Demmer, Sarah Luke, and Andrea Krause. Sound design, music, and audio production by Blake Thomas. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And from Duluth Superior Area Community Foundation, funded in part by the Anonymous Friend Fund, the Dr. and Mrs. Bernard Becker Charitable Fund, and the Living Legacy Fund. With additional support from the CDC Foundation, St. Louis County, and Cartier Insurance. Thank you for listening. To make a donation and for more information, head to DuluthStoryProject.com.